It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Live your own way in the seventh seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. It is a very wintry day again in Perth. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And it's wintry in Sydney. And a date with destiny awaits our Matildas tonight. A World Cup semi-final against the old foe England for a spot in the biggest game sport can boast. A World Cup final. Could the scene be set any better. This is the place where Kathy Freeman ran 23 years ago. I was lucky enough to be there. I remember after she had lit the Olympic flame, she gave the biggest press conference of the Sydney Olympics before a packed auditorium with hundreds of journalists from all over the world. And Freeman at the time was asked about the pressure she was under and why she had added to the pressure by lighting to the flame. How could she refuse such an honour when she was asked, she said. She was asked about how she would cope with the expectation of the crowd when she ran, and she said it would be just like some big, noisy bubble of colour. Freeman breezed through that press conference with an otherworldly calm about her, and I walked out of that press conference behind two Irish journalists talking amongst themselves, and one of them said to the other, I don't know what the hell she's on, but I sure want some. Days later, Freeman ran her race, stopped the clock at 49.11 seconds at the 400-metre finish line, and 110,000 Australians walked out of Stadium Australia as if they were walking on air. I remember turning to my boss at the time, former West Sports editor Ray Wilson, and saying, I might do this job for another 30 years, Willow, and it feels like it's going to be all downhill from here. Well, maybe not. Where we sure saw pressure and anxiety before that race or what we thought would be pressure and anxiety, Freeman saw opportunity, the chance to change a landscape. And hopefully the Matildas see opportunity and not pressure ahead of them at Stadium Australia against the Lionesses tonight. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Here are the four Matildas players I am most looking forward to watching tonight to four-wheel drive you to work today. One, obviously, it's Sam Kerr. Could it be anyone else? Will we see her at the start or will Tony Gustafsson bring her into the game off the subs bench as he has in the previous two matches? There are arguments for either, and I will ask both Alicia Carnavas and the West Australian's Ben Smith what they think Gustafsson will do uh, when they come on the show a little later this morning. What we can say, though, is having watched the quarterfinal against France, is that that game changed dramatically when Kerr entered it. Suddenly, it felt like every attack from the Matildas was a serious chance to score, and a handful of them uh, were almost scores. Suddenly, it felt like the French women were scrambling to defend. This may be the biggest decision Gustafsson makes in his entire coaching career. Does he save his big weapon and bring her on when she will be fresher than opponents? Or does he feel that if there is just one 
rolled gold scoring opportunity in this match and it unfolds before she comes on, he may have wasted the opportunity to send Australia through to the biggest game in the nation's history. Player two, Mary Fowler. In any sport, I'm a great believer in the notion that young players, regardless of the sport, have to convince themselves they can or they end up convincing themselves that they can't at the start of their careers. At the start of this World Cup, I think we saw in Fowler a player who wasn't sure that she could, and now just five games further along in her young career, we see a player who knows that she can. She proved it with one extraordinary through ball, the one that put Caitlin Ford outside of and ahead of the Canadian defence for the first goal in our last group match. The chances she created and very nearly took against France set the scene and the style of that quarterfinal for much of the match until Sam Kerr came on. She is brilliant, and the most exciting thing is that she's just getting started. Fowler, the young star, more than any other Matilda out there tonight, needs to see what Freeman saw 23 years ago. Opportunity, not pressure. Player three, Caitlin Ford. Before the Matildas had outlasted France, ask yourself who set the tone on the 4-0 breakout performance against Canada. It was Caitlin Ford, the player who, other than Kerr, is the Matildas' other bona fide superstar in this World Cup. She set the left side of the pitch alight with dashing runs at the Canadian defence. She scored the goal that put Australia in front in that match after that ball from Mary Fowler. And she was the most damaging and dangerous player out there until Australia had the match well and truly in their keeping. For the Matildas to get through tonight, the game cannot just be about one player or one moment. If Kerr and Fowler represent the top-end quality, Ford, Hayley Razzo and others have to bring the quantity. We need enough players posing enough threats in enough different places on the pitch to give Kerr and Fowler their best chance to bob up when it matters. And four, finally, Mackenzie Arnold. She was absolutely clutch for the Matildas in that quarterfinal against France. And if she had nailed that penalty kick in the shootout, she would have stood head and shoulders above all her teammates. Mackenzie Arnold is going to feel strong and confident in the wake of that, and she's going to need to, because make no mistake, England are going to have chances tonight, and the Aussie defence is going to have to be at its best to keep them out. Arnold, like Fowler, has grown in stature throughout this World Cup, and especially after the stumble against Nigeria. She's walking tall and confident, and we need her in that headspace until this is done now. What do you think? We're going to devote the entire first hour to the Matildas on the show today. Can Australia win? Will this be another night like Cathy Freeman's night out at Stadium Australia in front of 110,000 in 2000? Or will England crush our dreams like Johnny Wilkinson did in the 2003 Rugby Union World Cup at the same venue? You can share your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We've got a big show for you today. We're going to devote a lot of time to the Matildas. We're going to touch base with West Coast legend Josh Kennedy to talk about his retiring teammates Nick Natanui, Shannon Hearn and Luke Shuey. And we'll talk to him about the 101-point derby loss against Fremantle how the Eagles tackle the Western Bulldogs this weekend. And we ask the question, do people have to go at West Coast? And if so, who goes? You can take part on the text line. You can give us a call or just listen. It's a big day. Thanks to Izuzu Utes. Let's get four-wheel driving into it. 
Oh, a bit of cool music to get us rocking ahead of the Matildas World Cup semi-final against England tonight. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And now, thanks to Advanced Hair, Australia's largest and most renowned hair restoration clinic. We're joined on the show by the West Australians, Ben Smith. He's in Sydney for the World Cup semi tonight. Ben, welcome. G'day, Duff. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. So I believe you flew into Sydney last night? Yeah, yesterday afternoon. And, um, yeah, managed to get down to the uh, the, set, to the, uh, the FIFA fan zone at uh, Tumbalong Park in the city. Absolutely beautiful sight. And, uh, yeah, sampled the, uh, the sights and sounds of Sweden versus Spain in the, uh, in the first semi-final. And, uh, yeah, really all kicked, kicked off in the final 10 minutes. And... Uh, yeah, it was a you know a pretty thrilling end, and uh, you know a good look at uh, you know Spain, who hopefully Australia will be playing on Sunday. What was what's the atmosphere like in the city, Ben? It's pretty good. There's a vibe uh, and a real buzz around it. Um, you know the the fan zone is like a lot of people there. Um, you know they're probably you know, Spain and Sweden. You know, given the they've played all their games in New Zealand or most of their games in New Zealand. There probably wasn't too many, you know, Spaniards or Swedes roaming around the fan zone last night. But it was, a, you know, there was a pretty decent turnout. Uh, you know, probably a couple of thousand people there. Just kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't the most gripping of atmospheres and it probably wasn't the most gripping of games up until the final 10 minutes. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was a good vibe. And I think, uh, you know, everyone was just enjoying being out in the city on a, you know, quite a nice night and being able to take in some uh, live sport on the big screen. So I guess the big question is, are we ready? I don't think any of us are ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think I think the team are as ready as they'll ever be. I think if they're not, if they weren't ready, they wouldn't be in the semi-finals. I think they've had big games in the round of 16 in the group stage against Canada, and then obviously the quarterfinal against France on Saturday. So I think you know you can't. When it comes to being ready, there's a limit on how ready I think you can be. And I think Matildas are at that limit, really. So tell us a bit about England, because they play a slightly different formation to most of the other teams we've come across so far, don't they? Yeah, England, um, you know, they've kind of they've chopped and changed a bit throughout the tournament, uh, especially in terms of uh, you know, formation. They actually, you know, midway through the tournament, they shifted to a, you know, a 3-5-2. So they're playing three centre-backs, uh, you know, three central midfielders, two wing backs, and uh, two strikers. You know, most teams, you know, for a long time played four at the back. Over the last few years, we've seen a bit more of a shift internationally and, you know, at some of the biggest club teams in the world to three at the back. And, you know, England started this tournament with four at the back. They've gone to a three at the back because they feel like it suits them well. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting uh, from a tactical perspective how that matches up with that Australian 4-4-2 that they've been playing. So what to the layman, what can you predict about what that will mean for how the Matildas will have to play to get through? Well, I think the Matildas are going to be, you know, they're going to play as they have for most of the tournament. They're going to look to hit England on the counter-attack because Australia are most comfortable on the ball, uh, you know, well, so they're most comfortable in games when they're, you know, when they let their opponents have the ball. Uh, the Matilda's greatest strength is being able to hit teams uh, on the counter. And so, you know, if England have a lot of possession tonight, that won't phase the Matildas. They, you know, there is a, to an extent, they want England to have more of the ball because it's, 
you know, the more they get comfortable in possession, I guess, and the more that they are being lured further forward, then it does open holes up, you know, in behind for the likes of Caitlin Ford and Hayley Razzo to strike on the counter. I mean, Caitlin Ford's been, you know, she's been one of the best players of the, of the tournament for me. And, um, you know, she is so devastating in counter-attacking situations, as we saw uh, against, you know, Canada and, you know, against Denmark. So, obviously, the $64 million question here is how will Tony Gustafsson use Sam Kerr? Do you see it as off the bench like she was in the quarterfinal, or does she start the game? I, to be honest, I'm not sure, but I think my gut instinct says that she will start on the bench again. Uh, you know, before the last game, uh, Tony Gustafsson said, you know, like he wouldn't start Sam Kerr unless he was sure she could get through, you know, like a full game. And again, you know, she's, what, three weeks re- removed from a calf injury. I'm not quite sure she's going to be fully fit to potentially run out, uh, you know, 120 minutes because you want your best players on the pitch at the end of a game. And, you know, if, if you start Sam Kerr and the game goes to extra time, then you run the risk of having to sub her off if she's not, you know, fit enough to run out two hours. And, you know, obviously, you know, just a few days ago, she was in a pretty physically exhausting long game against France. She got through okay, but, you know, given there's a, you know, it's a pretty quick turnaround between that marathon of a game uh, that we witnessed on Saturday, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the, you know, the cautious approach. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think the other thing that it gives him, it gives him a superstar against players that are going to be more tired than she is. Um, and, and I suspect that Sam's ability to do something with a half chance under those circumstances is going to be, if anything, enhanced. I guess the, the flip side of the argument is um, what happens if our best chance happens before she's on the pitch? Um, and we saw the other night there was a number of half chances we got in the early going against uh, France that we weren't quite able um, to grasp. Um, tell us who our other key players are in this game, Ben. Well, for me, I think the biggest matchup I mentioned, Caitlin uh, Ford earlier, her battle with Lucy Bronze down to Australia's left and England's right is going to be huge. Um, Bronze is, uh, you know, she plays for Barcelona. She's been one of England's best players for, you know, maybe five, ten years. She, I remember watching her at the, uh, I think it was the 2015 Women's World Cup and being really impressed with her. She's a, yeah, um, she gives the, uh, the England uh, team a lot of kind of attacking impetus from her right wing back spot. So, you know, she's, you know, defensively she'll sit deep when, uh, when Australia have the ball, but she'll p- push up a bit more when they do have the ball. And, you know, we've seen how good Kayla Ford can be in counter-attacking situations. She's now coming up against, you know, probably the best right-sided defender in the world in Lucy Bronze. So that matchup for me is critical. If, you know, if, if they can get in behind Bronze and, and in behind Rachel Daly, who's going to be the left wing back most likely for England, that's where I think England can win the game. Because when you do play with three at the back, it does leave <laughs> a bit more space outside uh, in defence for counter-attacks. So that's key. I think England's midfield pairing of Georgia Stanway and Kira Walsh, um, Kira Walsh especially, I think Stanley is fantastic as well, but Walsh especially, um, she's, the, she's the, the, the straw which stirs the England drink. She, everything starts with Kira Walsh in midfield for England. And I think, you know, against uh, when women's was in England met earlier this year, you could see that uh, Kerr and Mary Fowler were really kind of dropping deep when they didn't have ball to prevent Walsh from getting on it. So I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a similar approach with, you know, Whoever's leading the line from the Tilders most likely to be Mary Fowler and Emily Van Egmont. If they're sitting 
I, w- I would expect him to sit deep and try and, you know, cut off that ball through to Kira Walsh. I mean, you know, defensively, Mary Earps and uh, Mary Earps and goal is, uh, you know, she's a fantastic keeper, although she doesn't have a good record against Sam Kerr, as has been brought up on uh, multiple occasions this week. And uh, Millie Bright in defence has been phenomenal for them all tournament. Um, you know, she's a very good player, um, you know, very strong at the back. Um, uh, England lost Leah Williamson, who's probably, you know, one of the best centre-backs in the world before the tournament. But Millie Bright's uh, stepped in has been uh, monumental. And then I think from an Australia point of view, um, you know, Ellie Carpenter down that right-hand side, you know, defensively, I think she's been solid but this tournament, but I think there's room for improvement. So Tony Gustafsson did a bit of posturing pre-match talking about, you know, Australia, the underdogs here, that England have these massive resources that they throw at these national teams. They have great depth, you know, where we have four or five, they have 15 or 16. Was that just trying to make sure that he he made his team feel like underdogs and the hunters rather than the hunted? Or um, is that is there an element of truth to what he said? I think there's an element of truth, but uh, it's kind of funny because Serena Weigman, uh, the, the uh, English manager, she said the same thing. She tried to say that all the pressure was on Australia. So it feels like both teams are like juring to be underdogs in a way, which is quite humorous. I'm not sure England are, you know, will ever be you know, traditional underdogs. Um, but there's no doubt there is a bit of pressure on Australia. But also similarly for England, you know, they're the European champions. They're favourites going into this game. I think they're narrow favourites. I don't think either team is, you know, uh, going to be you know, particularly outclassed or it's not like they're one team's in a completely different weight division. But I think England will go into this game as slight favourites, but I also don't quite buy the narrative that the Matildas are underdogs. Like, slight, you know, slight underdogs maybe, but not in the traditional sense of the word. Um, you know, they've been really good at times this tournament as well. And I think, you know... England know that there are lots of Australian players like Caitlin Ford, like Mary Fowler, like Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter that can really hurt them, like Katrina Gorey. And one of the most fascinating things against this uh, or about this Matildas team is the the way players have emerged through the course of the tournament, players that we wouldn't have known a lot about and we wouldn't thought a lot of before the tournament are, are basically growing before our eyes, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's one of the great things about having a Home World Cup is you get to meet and understand the players and, you know, they're going to be turned into household names. I mean, Caitlin Ford was already, you know, a star for me, but she's just reached a a whole new audience with her showing to this tournament. Uh, You know, Hayley Razzo's three goals have uh, kind of propelled her into the public consciousness. Now, Claire Hunt had barely... I don't think she'd played for the Matildas, you know, 18 months ago, and now she's been one of the best defenders of the entire tournament. She's been phenomenal. And she I think she's got 14, 15 national team games to her name. You know, and her progress this tournament, as you say, has been outstanding. Um, I'm not sure the average punter would have known much about Mackenzie Arnold, but after Saturday, everyone knows her life story, apparently. It's, um, it's wonderful because, they, you know, they are top athletes. And I think when you get to this level of, you know, athletes, we kind of, sometimes we don't quite see the... the person behind the athlete. So it's been really good that they've all had, you know, not only their own individual moments to shine, but they've had their, you know, opportunities for their stories to be told throughout the tournament. And, you know, that, that's, you know, a really underrated aspect of this uh, World Cup, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's just been fantastic to see these girls grow and you can see their body language changes, their belief in themselves changes and probably more than any other player, I reckon, Ben, that probably applies to Mary Fowler. We saw a player probably racked with a little bit of self-doubt in that first game against Ireland. Then she played that through ball um, to Caitlin Ford that got us going against Canada and suddenly we were dealing with an entirely different player. Yeah, she's you know she's still so young, you know, twenty twenty one years old. She's a you know it's bonkers to think that she was even at the last World Cup as well. Like she, um, you know, she's been part of this team for such a long time, and you know she's she's had good games as well. It's not like this has come out of nowhere. We've seen Mary Fowler play well for Matildas before. We know what a talent she is, um, and you know her you know her star has gone through the roof. Um, you know she's so. She just kind of takes it all in her stride. There was definitely, like you mentioned, an element of nerves, I think, in her performance against the Irish. But, you know, against Canada, she was good. Uh, I thought against Denmark, you know, obviously that ball she played to Caitlin Ford, that's world class. Like, not many people in the world, male or female, can get that ball right in that situation. It was you know, phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, she's had a great tournament. Again, like, had a couple of chances against France. One of them, you know, was a su- no, superbly blocked by the defender. So, you know, a bit unfortunate there, but I, you know, she's she's that kind of she's got that X factor. She has that kind of special something which you want in a player. And it's even when she's not, you know, winning games with moments of magic, she's doing the little things right, which is you know just as important. One of the things, um, the narratives that has unfolded in this is that Tony Gustafsson hasn't used his bench a lot and that a lot of our players have been on the pitch for a long time. Is that a factor? Um, is there the potential for the Matildas to fatigue as this game goes on? I think so, absolutely. And I think that's you know one of the biggest criticisms of him. And I think it's a very fair criticism as well. You know, He spoke uh, coming into the tournament, we're going to need 23 to win in 23. He has made a big song and dance about, you know, the need for depth over the last, you know, uh, couple of years. And he's gone about, you know, building that depth. And, he, you know, he deserves credit for, for building that depth. But you've also got to use the depth. You don't get credit for just kind of assembling a squad and saying they're all good. You've actually got to show that you trust them. Uh, you know, Alex Chidiak, for example, you know, she's played 15 minutes all tournament uh, against Nigeria when the game was, you know, uh, almost over and she created you know three or four good chances you know in that time and yet she hasn't featured for the rest of the tournament since it's you know quite flabbergasting for me and I think anyone who follows A league women as well knows what a great player Chidiak is so it's been really disappointing to see her you know marginalized a bit um, in terms of the tactics and the uh, player selection I think you know personally I would rather start her over um Emily Van Egmont, because I think she brings a bit of bit of extra class and a bit more energy, which you know, especially at this stage of a tournament, could be really important. Um, you know, Kaya Simon was obviously a bit of a wild card selection because she tore her ACL nine, ten months ago. Um, and Tony Gustafson said, you know, before the tournament, she's here because she might be able to win a game off the bench in the knockout phases. Well, we've played two, uh, we've played two games in the knockout phases, and she hasn't featured. Um, you know. Claire Polkinghorne, the centre-back, has featured in more games when you know, she hasn't really been needed to come on. It's been quite surprising. And I think that, you know, that attrition of, you know, six games in, uh, you know, three weeks, that's going to take its toll on the players. And, you know, England did have a big, uh, long game in their round of 16 uh, clash with Nigeria. So, you know, they will be feeling it a bit as well. But uh, they obviously, they won their game in, against Colombia in 90 minutes. So... 
Um, that's going to be, you know, how each team fatigues is going to be, you know, really interesting to watch. And whether we do, I, you know, I would, I'm not a, much of a betting man. I would probably bet that Tony kind of tries to stick with the same team for as long as possible tonight. Yeah, I think so. He's locked in now, isn't he? He's probably there's a pattern established, and uh, you'd you'd expect that it's going to take something exceptional to break that pattern. Okay, Ben, do we win? I don't know. <laughs> um, I I and look, it's I I think we can win. Uh, I think England can also win. It's, it's so tight. It's been you know I've been going back and forth in my mind over this, and for me it just comes down to you know. Can Australia's defence, you know, stay compact? Can they not get caught out of position? Can they, you know, you know, stave off the English raids? Can they restrict England to, I guess, speculative chances? Don't give them quite high, you know, percentage shots on goal. And whether they can hit them, the English in transition, like I said, you know, Caitlin Ford and Hayley Razzo for me, there's going to be space in behind the wing-backs for them to exploit. And if they are able to exploit it, Ford especially, then I think that holds the key to Australia. I, I, have, a, I have a feeling it's going to be a long game. I think it's going to extra time. Ben Smith from the West Australian getting splinters on his backside and not giving us anything in terms of who's going to win the game. Ben, thanks for your time, mate. I wish you all the best. Hope you have a great time out there at Stadium Australia. Thanks, Duff. Always a pleasure. Look forward to reading Ben Smith's stuff in the West Australian, of course, tomorrow. He comes to us thanks to Advanced Hair Clinic, the number one go-to for hair loss restoration by sportsmen all around the globe. What do you think? You can have your say on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736, or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. Matildas. Mary Fowler gets away from Helmdor. She's got Caitlin Ford down the left channel. Fowler finds Ford. Ford starts to streak forward. Caitlin Ford's in the area. Caitlin Ford! It's Caitlin Ford for Australia. And the Matildas on the fast break. Caitlin Ford as fast as a Ford all the way down the other end. Yeah, more like a Ferrari than a Ford, I think. Caitlin Ford scored against Denmark, of course. That wonderful opening goal in that game. That magnificent through ball from Mary Fowler. Let's hope we see more of that tonight. Will we see more of that tonight? Let us know on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Of course, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We've got more soccer coming up for you after the break. We're going to be talking to Alicia Carnavas, part of the SEN World Cup commentary team, about her thoughts on the World Cup semi-final tonight. Back after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. A massive game, of course, coming up in Sydney tonight. World Cup semi-final. Matildas versus Lionesses out at Stadium Australia. In uh, or out there, sorry, taking all the action in. Alicia Carnavas. Alicia, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. Exciting day, exciting times. And, of course, we can catch the full game on SEN. We'll be covering every kick, every header, every pass, every goal. Hopefully a Sam Kerr and a Mary Fowler goal in there somewhere. Tell us about the atmosphere in Sydney and the build to this game. 
oh, look, you can feel it all around all around Sydney. It's definitely buzzing already, and it's, it's a bit rainy and wet and cold down here, but um, certainly you can feel the sense of occasion in and around Sydney. I've already had a heap of people coming up to me in the streets, and everyone's just decked out in either their green and gold or their white jerseys of the English. It's, it's fantastic. So what does the weather mean, Alicia? How will it affect the way the game is played? Yeah, just a different, a different, I guess, approach to the game. Obviously, whenever there's a wet pitch, we're going to expect a bit more um, of the game to be slowed down, just out of control, I'd imagine, for both teams. The English, you would say, this is their weather. I feel like it's English weather for an Aussie party, if you ask me. But um, it, it'll just change the tempo of the game, perhaps not as as quick and as frantic as we've seen um, the attacking lines, but maybe a bit more controlled and measured in the passing as well. So the key, I think, is is about how this pitch holds up. If there's too much rain, if it becomes quite slow, or if it ends up being quite quick on the contrary and starts to skid. So they'll figure that out in the warm-up, and then um, on we go. A bit of a, a slower tempo, I'd imagine, though, tonight. What um, What's the weather forecast to do later in the day? Obviously, it's still early in the piece. Is it clearing or setting in? Apparently it's clearing, but pitch, I'd imagine, will still be a bit damp. So if it does clear later on this afternoon, it won't be till about 3, 4, 5 o'clock. And then at, at that stage, I think it's pretty much been, been rain overnight and still quite cool. So we'll, we'll see how it, how it pans out. So obviously one of the stories of the World Cup so far has been Sam Kerr and her injury and how she's been used since coming back from the injury. How do you expect Tony Gustafsson to use Sam tonight? Yeah, look, I, I actually expect her to start tonight if she's fit and well. Um, my expectation was if, if there's a match to start her in, it will be tonight. But there's a bit of conversation out of the Matildas camp that she won't and that the same strategy will be employed um, like they did against France where she came off the bench quite early in the second half and, and using her more in the later stages of the match than the earlier stages. But if she does come on which we expect that she will. Um, I'd love to see her start tonight against against the English. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because there are two clear um, approaches to this. I mean, if you bring her on after, you get her on against defenders who are hopefully a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued, and her ability to take that half chance may be enhanced. And I guess yep. the flip side of that is what we saw a bit against France, where... There were opportunities to be taken early in the game and we weren't able quite to nail them. And, and so there's that side of it as well. It's a, it's a massive balancing act for Tony Gustafsson, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I don't envy his, his job right now and the decision-making that he'll have to make with his team and his medical staff. But I think similarly, those early chances have not been taken by the Matildas. I think France were much the same. where They had a few chances that could have put us in positions where we were actually one nil down quite early. So we just need to be a little bit aware of that and try and keep this match quite tight and neutral until perhaps the injection of Sam Kerr or even Courtney Vine off the bench, which, which makes such a difference. You can just see the pace um, that, that Tony likes to inject into the match late on. I'm watching this from a distance, Alicia, but I, I do get a sense there are young Matildas that are growing into this tournament and growing as this tournament goes along. I get that sense about Mary Fowler and certainly Courtney Vine's ability to step up and take that moment in the penalty shootout was a little bit of that as well. Are you, are you getting that feeling as well that we are growing and maturing and improving as this tournament goes along? Definitely, definitely. I've been so impressed with, with Mary Fowler. Um, we knew she, she was a talent, but now she's just becoming a star, which is, which is amazing. Um, Claire Hunt is another one. 
I think she's been absolutely sensational. Her first major tournament, her first real selection um, with the Matildas, only coming in the last few months with the injuries of Alana Kennedy and Claire Polkinghorn. And you'd never, you'd never say she's she's a freshman to the team. She's been absolutely sublime. And Courtney Vine, need we say more? That that penalty, cool and as calm as you like on Saturday night in Brisbane. And it is, it's a real. I guess encouraging factor of this team is that there are some youngsters who've got a lot of leverage and a lot of game time still in them um, coming through the ranks within the Matildas. So it's wonderful. Another one that's caught the eye, Kyra Cooney-Cross. Tell us about her. She, she, she finished the other night with a little bit of a foot problem. Is she OK? Um, because she's yeah. really impressive. Yeah, she's been fantastic. I actually, early in the piece, sort of suggested that she might be one of the young players of the tournament because she is that good. We've seen her here at home with Melbourne Victory before she went overseas to Europe, and, and she's a real standout youngster as well. Haven't heard too much about the ankle. I know she got trod on sort of in around the Achilles area in the match on Saturday, but I say no news is good news because that means there's sort of less chat and less pressure about, about injuries as well. Tell us about England. Who are the threats and how will they play? Yeah, the English are a different, I guess, a different team altogether. They're a little bit more gritty. Um, they like to attack down the flanks. We've seen Rachel Daly and Lucy Bronze. They like to play very similar to us, using those wing backs to kind of create an extra attacking layer, if you can call it that, uh, when they do have the ball in possession and they look to move forward. I think Alessia Russo just had quite a quiet tournament um, all, all through the last couple of weeks, but she's one to watch. She's a star. Um, over now for, for Arsenal. She was with Manchester United, but she was a star in the Euros last year, and I think if there's a match that she could step up for, it's tonight. Um, their captain as well, Millie Bright, she's been sensational all tournament and um, really instrumental in guiding their team. So I think there's a few defensively that we can look out for, and um, uh, Alessio Russo, for me, up top is, is the one to, to really keep an eye on. Who are our keys, do you think? I think we touched on all of them already. <laughs> Mary Fowler, Kyra Cooney-Cross, um, I think Hayley Rasso and Caitlin Ford have been outstanding all tournament as well, which is great. And the, the best thing about this Matilda's team at the moment is if we don't have Sam Kerr, we've got Caitlin Ford, we've got Hayley Rasso, we've got Mary Fowler, Katrina Gorey. There's some layers and some depth to this starting 11, provided it's kept that way and we expect it to be. So I think um, all around the park, we've got some strengths. But for me, uh, Fowler and Ford have been the standouts and, and probably our biggest threats tonight. Katrina Gorey has been battling a bit of a foot foot problem for a couple of matches now. How is she? She seems all right. I had a good chat with her mum at the airport on Saturday and all things are well in, in Camp Gorey, from what I've heard. So, um, yeah, Linda was, was kind enough to give me a fair bit of time and catch up as, as old Queenslanders do and are on the road and all, all looks positive out of, out of that camp from what I've heard. But again, I dare say if there are any injuries, they'll be keeping a few things under wraps just to keep some competitive advantage as well against the English. One of the things I reckon from a mental side of this is whether they feel pressure or whether they sense opportunity. What, what's the sense you get about this Matildas team? I think it's all opportunity tonight. I don't think there's any pressure. I think most of the pressure would have been absorbed in the result of, of Saturday. Saturday was a real pressure moment, I think, for for football in this country, but particularly that team, the Matildas, um, being in that moment, that was the pressure point. I think 
from an expectation perspective, in-house semi-finals was always the goal and the belief has always been that once they were here, anything can happen once you're in the top four. Um, so they're here now. So I think it's opportunity and, and all about taking them tonight. And if they're able to do that, gosh, who knows, Sydney on the 20th of August could be green and gold. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I was in Sydney for the Sydney Olympics and I get the feeling we're dealing with an event of that magnitude now. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive moment on the Australian sporting landscape, isn't it? Yeah, it is incredibly big and I think bigger than any of us expected it to be. We knew that the World Cup in itself was always going to be big. FIFA always, always deliver in that space and and obviously what that attracts is, is enormous, but just the way the public have taken on this team and, and we see other codes also joining forces with us for the first time ever, it's been spectacular. And you start to look at that and, and the impact this tournament's having and the impact it's having all around the country, um, not just within the football family and fraternity, but with, with everyone all around Australia. It's just been enormous and, and we're so happy and long may it go on. It's awesome. This is the opportunity that soccer or football has, isn't it? It's, it's the one code that can truly unite the country uh, behind a national team because it's the one code that is truly a world game. And I say that as an AFL person, but I, I do get the yeah. feeling that the Socceroos and the Matildas are the two national teams that can absolutely get the entire nation behind them when they're playing in a World Cup. I totally agree with that and, and appreciate it, Mark, from an AFL person. This is fantastic because, you know, we are a sporting nation and we are so enthusiastic about our sport in Australia, which is a wonderful thing. But one thing I think football, um, I guess, represents all around Australia and for Australians, if you look at the, the football tapestry of representatives, whether it's the Socceroos all the way through to the Matildas, you can actually have a look at essentially Australia's immigration pattern as well. It's one of the few sports that will show you, um, I guess, links to immigration all throughout representation. And I think that's a big, big part of why football unites so many people all around the country. And when, when our teams are going well, everyone's on board. We saw it in 06 with the Socceroos as well. So it's a really, really beautiful part of um, the Australian football fabric. And I think it's something that everyone really, really can enjoy. What's your tip, Alicia? Oh, I don't think I've got extra time in me again after commentating Saturday night. I don't think the heart will take that. I think the Matildas will win 1-0. Let's hope so. Let's hope for a massive party in Sydney in the wake of that. All the best with tonight, and uh, we'll be watching from wherever we are anywhere in Australia. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Alicia you will be part of the SEN team, of course, for that massive match out at Stadium Australia, the Women's World Cup semi-final, the Matildas versus the Lionesses. Let's hope we can get through to the World Cup final. What a massive moment that would be on the Australian sporting landscape. You can catch it on SEN, every kick, every header, every key moment of that game. What do you think? What will happen? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line. 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Remember to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. Well, we've got some good text coming through on the Matildas on the temperate bedshed text line, but we've also had a caller. Daryl from Kingsley has joined us. Daryl, welcome to the show. 
Good morning, Duff. I'm quietly confident, but I hope we can um, we can do the business tonight. Why are you confident, Daryl? Um, I just think um, the crest of the wave of the nation is hopefully going to get us get us through. We're, we're playing really well at the moment. I think the most important thing about this particular game is the start. If the Matildas can hold their own and keep a, a possession of the ball, I think it'll go a long way. I think we'll keep the same starting lineup, and I think we'll put Sam Kerr on to um, to good effect. Hopefully, with against tiring legs. So that was going to be my next question to you. Put yourself in Tony Gustafsson's shoes. How do you use Sam Kerr? You're thinking she starts as a sub. When do you bring her on? I'm thinking I'm bringing her on um, depending on how the game situation is. If it's nil all with about 50 minutes in, I think similar to the France game, we could bring her in. So that way, she's still fresh if the game does go deep. One of the biggest factors that may come into the play is the fact that it's a three-day turnaround and technically the Matildas have had to travel, whereas England obviously played their last game in Sydney and haven't had to travel. So it'll be a, it'll be a juggling act for good staff to see if, if anyone's um, feeling fresh or tired and whether any possible changes may need to be made in the starting lineup. But I'm hoping we can start with the same side and, yeah, hopefully the, the nation behind the team will, will get us over the line as the, the extra player. It's amazing how it unites the country, isn't it, Daryl? Um, soccer, I think, more than any other sport, the national teams. Because, and I think it's because it's genuinely the world game and uh, we all feel like if one of our soccer teams is doing well, we really are conquering the world. Oh, absolutely. And, and to think of a nation that doesn't have that um, football pedigree, we're punching about our, our, above our weight. And this tournament in particular shows that you can enjoy all kinds of sport and you can get behind whoever that you, you enjoy. And I hope one of the biggest things out of this is, besides going for the Matildas and the Socceroos, is that hopefully this converts a few people, not only to like AFL, but enjoy the local game as well. And hopefully with more memberships, and people invested in the game, hopefully this will mean better facilities, hopefully some funding into high performance, and um, basically, yeah, a growth of the game never seen before. Locally, are you a Glory fan, Daryl? I, I am. I, I, I'm invested in both sides. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just been great to, to see our, our beautiful game in, in, in the spotlight um, and, and in, in a good factor. Obviously, um, we've had an up-and-down history of, of football in this country and hopefully this will be the, the flick of the switch, hopefully, now that we'll get more people invested in the game. Who's your favourite Matildas player? Oh, my favourite Matilda is, is Sam Kerr, but I'm closely followed by Mary Fowler. I've just really enjoyed how she's come on in this particular tournament. Um, she's got pace, she's got speed, and I, I just felt like she was just a bit unlucky with a couple of her chances last game, but hopefully she's able to take them tonight. Daryl, thanks for giving us a call and joining us on the show. Thank you very much, Duff. Daryl from Kingsley, giving us his thoughts on the Matildas tonight. Uh, where will you watch the game who will you be watching it with it's going to be massive you can let us know on the temper at bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call like daryl did on the open line on 13 12 55 time for some news down there this is just set up for nat newey palm down to tim kelly on the drive by clock at 12 minutes oh look at that that is as good a tap work as you'll see the little back flick
Oh, it was rocking brilliant, Sammy. That's that. Rocking brilliant. <laughs> 2020, of course. I think that's almost my favourite Nick Natanui moment. And, of course, the big Ruckman retired after 213 games earlier this week. What's your favourite Nick Nat moment? Let us know on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. And uh, temper uh, mattresses from Bedshed, of course, they're the expert in temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases. You can check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. And they bring you this segment, which is us talking to Josh Kennedy, West Coast legend and AFL life member. Josh, welcome. Good morning, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. You remember that moment against the Cats in 2020? <laughs> I do remember that moment. Yeah, I've got a lot of favourite nickname moments, and yeah, obviously that's one of them because I was involved. But um, but he's had a, a lot more than that, and um, yeah, he'll go down as one of the um, the great ruckmen of um, of our club, West Coast Eagles. So tell us a bit about him. Obviously, you were already there when he arrived. What you were you? What were your first impressions when he was picked up, picked to um, in the 2008 national draft? Yeah, yeah. So, well, Nick um, uh, obviously came down that year as the, um, I think it was the AFL Academy. They get distributed out to, I suppose, clubs. And he, he came down for a bit of a week, um, kind of training through, and obviously wasn't doing much. Uh, some pretty raw talent there, um, big tall Fijian kid, and he was uh, had no muscle or size in him, but he could jump and he was pretty quick. So um, we knew there was some ability, and yeah, for us to obviously get him at that um, that pick two, um, you know, was fantastic for the footy club. And uh, he came in and, uh, like I said, was was really raw, but you know, um, being able to learn under Dean Cox, who you know is one of the greatest ruckman of, you know, the last couple of decades, um, you know, he really came into his own and had his own way of, I suppose, playing football. Um, but just the impact he would have in games, you know, he, he didn't have to touch the ball much. He didn't have to be on the ground. I think the back end of his career, he was only playing 60 minutes of footy, which is not that much. But the impact he would have, um, you know, was unbelievable. And, um, yeah, it was very lucky enough to play alongside Nick Nanui. Your midfielders would have thought, it was Christmas, wouldn't they? Uh, roving to Dean Cox and Nick Nat Nui. They would have been walking around, eating caviar, drinking champagne. Um, so oh, yeah. we, we don't need to train too much. This is just going to be laid out for us on a red carpet. Um, yeah. I remember some of the clearance work that West Coast were doing back in those days. It was like a drive-through through the through the clearance, yeah. particularly when Nick was rucking. It was, it was quite phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah, no, we've always been pretty lucky, I think, with our Ruckman and, you know, having Dean Cox come through and, and what he was able to do and, you know, having midfielders like Judd, Cousins and Kerr and, and I suppose that next generation with, with Nick being involved with Coxie and, and having kind of boots and, um, you know, these guys come through, it was it was amazing to watch and, you know, they were very lucky and they'll always tell you that, but... Um, but, uh, yeah, the old banter about the old dumb Ruckman, don't let him touch the footy. But I tell you what, he he, he fed those boys a lot and, and had a lot, to, a lot of impact in those, those guys' careers. It wasn't just the taps to the midfielders either, was it? He could um, he could take it himself. He could flatten the opposition midfielder that had the, the misfortune to take it out of the stoppage. His follow-up work was quite phenomenal. Yeah, well, I think that was uh, probably his biggest asset. You know, as much as he, he could jump and he could tap it anywhere and he was able to get that ball cleared, but, you know, if it didn't quite work... 
yeah. footy forward. The amount of times, you know, we, we kind of saw him, you know, from one rack, uh, rack tap down, uh, pushing that ball forward. There's people everywhere. He's bowling people over. He ends up with the footy in his hands. And, um, you know, when he's running full pelt, uh, coming towards inside 50 from the centre, there's no point leading because he'll never be able to hit you up. There's always going over your head. So he was... Um, yeah, it was it was always great to watch. I'm tipping there wasn't much point standing in his way if you're an opposition defender either. I would have been, uh, I reckon, I would have been finding something nah. something else to do. I reckon, <laughs> Josh, at, uh, at yeah, those particular yeah, times. Yeah. What, what's your favourite? Yeah, well, yeah. what, what's your favourite Nick moment apart from the the one uh, where he fed you? I reckon it was that North game where he took that mark and. Um, you know, by all accounts, he should have shepherded and let me take it. But I'm so glad he um, he did he did take that mark. And for him to go back and you know um, uh, him in his kicking and his kicking ability, um, you know, he, he worked on it so hard. But he always seemed in those big moments to just hit that ball sweet. And um, yeah, to, that that win that day was was something remarkable for I suppose a big ruckman uh, to do and uh, to put it straight through, especially with all that pressure and. He's always the man who, who was able to stand up with that pressure and, and the resilience he's kind of showed over his, you know, his life, his career um, to become the player and person he is, you know, testament to himself. And um, But, yeah, that, that North one, I think, was just a little bit better than that GWS um, kind of snap. As much as it was pretty spectacular taking out the ruck and kicking it just before the siren, that, that, that pressure after the siren that he would have been through, um, I think that was my favourite moment. I remember the one at GWS. I was covering a waffle game down at Fremantle Oval. I was sitting in the old George Grudisich press box down there and uh, and listening to it on the radio. And they were, they were starting to talk about the GWS victory with eight seconds left. And the next thing you know, it was a West Coast victory because Nick Nat had snapped a goal. Hey, um, obviously, Nick retires. Shannon Hearn retires. Luke Shuey retires. It leaves a, a massive hole. Have you seen anything like this in your time at West Coast? Um, uh, not not uh, not really. We we had you know kind of glassy kind of um, you know retire mid year, and then obviously guys like Dean Cox and Bo Waters, um, Sam Butler. These, these kind of guys go who have been you know massive massive part of the the, the club. And um, I suppose yeah, in this kind of sense and uh, the contribution that these guys have given, and especially over the last few years, yeah, it's. it's been a big week, yeah. Uh, every week it seems to be popping up, so hopefully there's none this week. We'll, we'll probably find out either tomorrow. But, um, yeah, the guys' legacies that they'll leave for this club, um, you know, obviously two captains of this footy club who have led it, um, you know, an amazing, have done an amazing job and, and built, um, you know, fantastic culture over the last decade. And, and Nick's ability um, to one lead in his own way, but um, the impact he's had um, for the club. And, and not only... On field, but the you know the impact and legacy he'll leave off field on what he's doing with his Natanui Academy and um, you know the things he does with Telethon and, and getting around to PMH Hospital and um, the thing those little things that people probably don't really see. Um, yeah, that, that's that's the that's the biggest thing and why we love Nick. He's quite a unique person, isn't he? And you mentioned the off field stuff, and you, you'd think he's probably going to be around, wouldn't you? Given the the academy and and also you would imagine if you're West Coast, you'd want him around to to school your young ruckman a little bit? Yeah, 
definitely. It'll be interesting to see what he does in terms of a um, and a role. I think he said in his press conference he wants his weekends back. So I don't know whether he'll have a game day role. But, um, you know, Nick, the way he is, he'll, he'll probably have a, a kind of tactical role, I suppose, with working still with Bailey and, and any new up-and-coming ruckmen that are they're kind of pushing through the ranks over the next few years. He's, his involvement with the club will, will be around for, for a long time, I, I'd assume. And um, he'll be working, obviously, with his Nat Nui Academy um, but yeah, he, he, he will still able, still be able to have that impact with, I suppose, players that are playing now and wants to come into the club over the next few years. The Derby, what went wrong? Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was hard to watch, obviously, and I think it's Frio's biggest win, you know, um, overall in any Derby. So uh, that, the contest and pressure—that's something that we've kind of seen over the last few weeks that you know uh, we've loved and and been able to, I suppose, hold our heads high as a fan as West Coast. But um, you know, the pressure and, and the contest just wasn't there, and that's what the game's built around these days. It, don't know whether there's many um, tactical moves that you can make um, when the contest and, and that method around the contest is not going great. So um, that's something that um, obviously Fremantle did towel up West Coast with. And, and they've got a quality midfield. Um, I think they won the centre clearances 15 to 6. And, you know, contested ball was, you know, 122 to 113. So well up. Um, plus they owned the footy. You know, they had about 118 marks, which is which is crazy. So um, they owned the footy. They won the contest. And, you know, as we saw, 17 unanswered goals. Um, yeah, West Coast couldn't stop it. So you mentioned contest method. And around the stoppage, that was particularly apparent, wasn't it? It was like the West Coast midfield and the players around the midfield just lost their way completely. And, and Frio at yeah. times was strolling out of there you know like Luke Jackson was rucking it getting it off the ground walking out of there almost reminding West Coast people what they were going to miss with Nick Natanui gone because uh, that was the sort of stuff he was doing like, but how does that happen and and what what sort of strategies get put in place to deal with that when it starts going that way Oh, look, well, I suppose, you know, we've, we've had we've had TK in there who's stood up all year, but, you know, the midfield has kind of been switched around a fair bit this year with a lot of injuries and players, and Dugo's been one to come in and done quite well, but you've got a, you've got a couple of young kids in there, and Elijah Hewitt, you know, when he rises and starts, fantastic to see, and he, he's been a shining light of this year, but um, when you have that inconsistency, I think, and also inconsistency at training with not having enough numbers, all, all of a sudden that training that contest can be hard, and that's no excuse for it because they have had the numbers the last few weeks can happen and and when you have a dominant um, they get cleaner in that first kind of pick up of the footy um, sometimes it's, you can get wrong footed and you know uh, being uh, you know 30 centimetres out of place or just not being on your man just that enough and a quick handball goes out it's able to kind of release so um, the method and the contest um, stuff one in, in actually not winning it for starters you know can can be pretty de- detrimental you know to without um, getting it forward Bailey Williams is starting to look tired, Josh. He's been quiet the last two weeks. Um, he's carried the ruck most of the... Well, he's carried the ruck pretty much all of the season. Um, is it starting to tell on him, do you think? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. You talk about a young kid coming in and uh, hasn't played much footy prior. He's played a few games here and there and, you know, back in the waffle, had since an injury, but this year, you know, playing every single game, um, getting up and, and playing in the ruck, you know. And so not only around the ground, but um, the amount of... Most players towards the back end of this year would be feeling sore, um, but you know, for him who's done that number one ruck role all year, I'd say um, he would be he'd be fairly sore. And you know, um, a lot of guys are probably carrying something, you know, some injury somewhere, whether it's corkies or whether it's little things. Um, 
along the way. So um, we're probably just seeing that with him, you know, being such a younger player and, and not um, having a full year um, so far. But this year will do him, um, you know, wonders for the, the coming years coming. And um, he'll be able to have a good break in the off-season, get back in. Hopefully there's no um, kind of mishaps during his pre-season. And he keeps getting that time in his legs, keep having those consistent full years. He'll be able to, you know, kind of run out that um, run out full year. So put your list manager's hat on here. The West Australian today suggested that West Coast would be in the running to take Brody Grundy off Melbourne's hand. I'm not sure they need... Uh, a ruckman of Brody's age coming in, particularly not with Tim English becoming a free agent in 12 months' time. But do do they need a specialist ruckman? Bailey sort of still appeals more as a forward ruck or a ruck forward than an actual pure ruckman. Does West Coast need another mature-bodied ruckman to help him out next year or do they let Harry Barnett come on stream gradually, do you think? Yeah, well, that's what Harry's, you know, kind of been drafted for. And, um, you know, he'll kind of work his way in and, and whether he, he slipped into that second run role. Um, we've seen Bailey's been able to handle it most of the years. So, um, yeah, you know, getting Brody Grundy, um, waiting for Tim English, all those things are a little bit, you know, uncertain. You never know what happens next year with Tim English and the way he goes. He could, you know, sign another five-year contract. Um so you wouldn't really want to be waiting and holding your, your, your hat on, on that. But um, I don't know, Brody Grundy, I don't know, if, if Collingwood are still paying his wage, you know, maybe he might be able to get him for um, a pretty cheap price over the course of this next year. But I think they've got a vision, they've got a plan, they're building a list. Um, they've got, you know, a good crop of young players now and, and Bailey's involved with that. And obviously Harry's in their plans as well. So um, they'll be looking to kind of build on that over the next um, coming years and, um, I suppose sticking your neck out trying to find you know that that older senior player in a time when you know things aren't going to be um, I suppose overly consistent in the way they're playing because they're still still going to be learning and be a young list you know it's it's probably best just keeping it um, you know with those guys developing and, and getting the best out of them. So devil's advocate and you mentioned it's a young list why not have a young coach to coach a young list? This is Adam Simpson's fifth defeat by 100 points plus. How many of these can he absorb? Are you confident he's going to be there next year? And is there an argument that now is the time to change the coach? Yeah, well, obviously there's, there's, there is definitely, I suppose, an argument. And, you know, um, there's only two more games to go. So hopefully there's not a um, couple more of, um, I suppose, these beltings. But, um, you know, uh, consistency in what he's said in terms of his vision and his plan for these younger players and um, and what they've been doing, you know, backing from the board. And I know you can obviously never never back the board. Um, but, um, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see how these changes go. Uh, you know, whether Simo is the right man for the job, I'm, I'm sure that West Coast and, and, the, and the board will make the right decisions coming in the back end of the year. But um, there's been a big change over players. Um, you know, there's a young crop coming through. Simo's starting to deal with that young crop. Um, you know, a complete change, you know, does that kind of waver. Sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's a negative. So, uh, mate, I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence at the moment. I can't really give you an answer because there's too much up in the air and, um, you know, Sometimes changes are good, but sometimes they aren't. So, um, but I'm sure that the club and the way they've operated over the last 30 years, uh, they'll make the right decision moving forward. I guess what they have to do here is they have to divorce themselves from the fact that he's a premiership coach. We know that. That's a fact. And I think they also mm-hmm. have to divorce themselves from trying to lay blame for what's happened over the past two years. And they need to ask themselves the simple question, yeah. is Adam the best person to guide 
a yeah. new young group of players through. And based on what you know about him, do you feel he's capable of doing that? Yeah, I think he is. I think he is. I think his um, his strategic way in, in in terms of you know one once the kids are developed and into that stage, um, he does adjust and he does adapt to his environment. Um, this year has probably been you know a massive kind of he's in that uh, pressure cooker state you know from the media from everything external. So um, yeah, it, it, it's probably interesting to see what the club do whether they. Um, kind of go through, uh, not, not a review, but they just kind of discussions with players, with, you know, um, other players that have played previously and, and just to kind of get that gauge. But, um, you know, Simo's plan over the last few years has kind of always been consistent and that's what's always, uh, I suppose, presented to the board in, in development and transition of the list. So um, as much as the wins aren't coming, you know, it. it it is slowly starting to happen um, and the consistency over the next few years and one, getting guys on the park to be able to train, um, getting time into these young kids, um, probably enhancing the development um, kind of resources at the club and, um, you know, it could go either way, you know what I mean? So, um, but I think he's still capable. It just depends on, yeah, what, what, what the board are thinking towards the back end of the year. You mentioned Elijah Hewitt. He was the Rising Star nomination. I, I, I suspect what happens at the back end of the season with the Rising Star is in the early part of the season, you only have to play one really good game and you get nominated. But at the back half of the season, they look at a body of work. And I think Elijah Hewitt has earned his nomination through a body of work. Tell us about him and the, the improvement you've seen over him in the um, um, over the course of the season yeah it's um oh, it's, it's been exciting to watch you know he, he's come in and um you know he's got full confidence in his yeah, you see that in a lot of young kids when they play. Um, you know, he's, he's such a power athlete. He's, he's very quick and he's he's pretty skillful. He knows how to find the footy. So um, we're already seeing glimpses of, you know, exceptional moments of, you know, tap down ruck, um, pick up, spinning out of trouble, kicking goals, um, also winning clearances. So uh, he's someone who's going to be, yeah, very exciting to watch over the over the course of the next few years, and and obviously seeing Luke Shuey's press conference and um, how much uh, Ollie probably cares that his dad's not playing anymore. He's he's, he's stripped the number thirteen and got number eight on his back, so I think Ollie's pretty excited as well to watch Elijah Hewitt over the next few years. Yep, coming years, uh, mate. If there's a stoppage twenty metres out from goal with a game on the line, and Nick Natanui was hitting it, you wouldn't be getting it. Elijah Hewitt would be getting it. Trust me, he'd be the he'd be the bloke going through yeah. the space. <laughs> Josh, I think he would. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for your insights so far this year. Hopefully, we see a stronger performance uh, from West Coast against the Western Bulldogs this weekend. Looking forward to it. Cheers, mate. Josh Kennedy, of course, he's an AFL legend, a West Coast legend, uh, joins us on the show every week to talk through matters West Coast. He's brought to you by Bedshed, the experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. We'll take a break. Be back with more after the break. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yes, it's time for Duff's Deep Dive. We're going to need a bigger sporting landscape, I suspect, if the Matildas get through tonight into a World Cup final. Of course, they play England out at Stadium Australia in the semi. Should be a massive game. Where does it rate in terms of big events in your lifetime, Heater? Oh, it's got to be right up there. Top five. Yep. Yep. 
what the other four are. I'm not sure, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's in the running for a top five finish. Absolutely. I shouldn't have asked you that question without notice. <laughs> and uh, tonight could definitely uh, it could uh, move up to the podium. Yeah, for sure. So you're tipping them? Are you confident? I'm confident. 2-0. Yep. 2-0? Yeah. Who scores them? Uh, well, let's go with Kerr. Yeah. have got to get the uh, home flavour right. And uh, why not another one from Ford? Maybe nice little move down the left-hand side flank. Yeah, I'm going to say I don't reckon Kerr scores. I reckon Sam Kerr will be good for an assist mm. tonight, and I think the assist will go to Mary Fowler. Okay. I think she'll create time and space for Mary Fowler, and Mary Fowler, with that time and space, will, with the experience of getting good shots away but not scoring against mm. France in the quarterfinal, I think she will score tonight. Fingers crossed we're right. Fingers crossed we beat England and get through to play Spain. So your scoreline tip was? Uh, I'm going to say 1-0. One 1-0? Nil. One nil. I think it's going to be damp. It's going to be a bit of a heavy track. I don't think there'll be a lot of scoring. So I think 1-0 will get it done and uh, hopefully we don't score too early so we're just sitting there <laughs> Grinding away at our fingernails <laughs> yeah. for about 80 minutes while we hope that the that England don't equalise. Um, good one from Noddy. He always sends in great messages on the temper at Bedshed text line. Morning, Duff. In an alternate universe where the Matildas lose tonight, two questions. What are the TV ratings for the Spain-England final like? Um, I reckon they'll be a bit tepid. Uh, uh, you you would definitely burn a few off, but um, I think the people that want to see the conclusion of a tournament will still hang around to see you know what will be a high quality match. But Matilda's being in there would make it even higher quality. Yeah, um, well, it'll make it a massive. <laughs> um, it would make it almost the biggest sporting TV event has to be we've seen. I think it was the quarterfinal the biggest since Freeman. Yes. I think. Mm. So I suspect we might even topple that if we get mm. through. The other question that Noddy asked, how will we, the public, the media, reflect on the Matildas and their impact? I I think there's going to be a big impact from this, I think, already. I think girls, seeing the names that are coming through and emerging as household names, young girls in particular, mm. are going to look at this and they're going to go, this is a sport that I want to play. Now, Sam Kerr grew up playing Aussie rules footy. Um, she was very good too. I saw her play Little League at Subiaco Oval. She was the best player on the ground playing against the boys. No, she was, seriously. Yeah. She was, and, and not by any small margin yeah. either, just quietly. She was the best player on the field by a margin. But one of the things that drew her to soccer was the ability to play in an event mm. like this. And when you look at the emergence of Mary Fowler, you look at the emergence of Kyra Cooney-Cross, the um, the emergence of Courtney Vine, of course, taking that penalty against France. These people are now household names, mm. um, and I think that will draw a lot of young girls to the sport. Yeah, the other thing, yeah. and, and this is, I reckon, almost as significant as the boost this could provide soccer with, is the, the boost that it provides women's sport generally with. We're now seeing that... Two, almost our two most admired national sporting teams, uh, the women's cricket team yep. and the Matildas. Mm. And that, if you'd have said that could happen 15 years ago, if yeah. you'd have tried to predict that, locked up, you, you would have been laughed <laughs> out of the room. And, yeah. now, and now this is the point that we've got to. And it's because they're not just great sports people, they're great role models mm. as well. Started with a moment, and I think it's going to turn into a movement. So it, it, you know, it could easily just be off the front page next week um, after that quarterfinal win, but I think it's much bigger than that. Yeah, I, I, think, we, I think we're going to see a shift. Mm. Um, I think we're going to see a shift, and um, I think sport will be better 
for it. What do you think? you still got time to have you say you can send us through a text on the temperate bedshed text line. We've got a couple to get out of the way on that before the end of the show. That is 0487 736 736. We'll be back after the break. Cloudy for tomorrow and 17 again, mostly sunny and 20 on Friday. And the Quaddy-thon is back next week on SEN Track. Download the Quaddy app to get involved. You win some, you lose more. Yes, as always, of course, Duff's Deep Dive is brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. You can see your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We're going to be talking to Ashley Prescott, coach of Claremont. Of course, they're coming off four consecutive losses. They're now fighting for their spot in the top five in the waffle, and they face Swan Districts this weekend. He'll be with us after the break. The mighty Tigerland theme song. They haven't been singing it much lately, but joining us on the show now, Claremont coach Ash Prescott. Uh, big game coming up this weekend against Swan Districts. Ash, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Duff. Mate, four losses on the trot. What's happened? Well, we've just been a little bit inconsistent. We've, I think, all due respect to the teams we've played, I think we've, we've played some teams that are playing particularly good footy at the moment. We just haven't been good enough over four quarters. So... Our availability has been challenged. We've had a few injuries. We've thrown the team around a little bit, but hopefully we can get back um, onto the winners' list this weekend. Yeah, you mentioned the opposition. It's been pretty good, hasn't it? Um, Peel, um, East Romandle, East Perth and West Perth are the teams that beat you. The one against West Perth is the one that might cost you because they're the team that's chasing you now and is now within striking distance. What do you do against Swan Districts this week to make sure you get the win and stave off the challenge? Well, I reckon we just got to play four quarters. But we've been we've been in most games, I think all games, probably apart from that West Perth game. Um, you know, and, and I think lost two players before half time, which which does hurt and it puts a lot of pressure on on everyone, especially some guys that have been returning from injury. So look hopefully we can play four quarters, you know, and get some get some strong availability over four quarters and just be a little bit more consistent as a whole. Do you change anything in terms of your mix for this week, Ash? Military's hamstring, so he did that early in the second quarter on the on the weekend, um, and we had a couple of other little soft tissues. So we might be forced a little bit to, to make some changes. Um, the development team's been doing particularly well, Duff. Um, you know, and there's some guys there that have been playing good, consistent footy. So we'll probably have a bit of a look tonight and, and just see how some guys are, are looking as far as selection goes, and then just make the necessary changes if we have to. Interesting name that's popped up in your reserves team over the last couple of weeks, Tim House. Where's he at in terms of uh, possibly returning to the league team? Getting close. He had, um, unfortunately, back in, in March, he, he did his knee badly and, and had to have surgery. So he's been rehabbing pretty hard back on the farm and he's played the last two reserves games and, and he's sort of building a bit. But we've got, got to be really mindful that at this time of year... Um, you know, that he's got that conditioning base and fitness base to come in and, and he's in a soft tissue risk. So, you know, again, he'd be, he'd be one. Hopefully we can bring back into the mix sooner rather than later. The loss of Jack Buller always felt like it was going to be a big thing for you to overcome just because of what he offered to you. He offers you the bailout kick. He offers you the leading target. He offered you the, the backup Ruckman as well. Have you struggled to cover his loss, do you think? 
Well, probably a beard, and Max Minnie broke his foot, so so Max is the other key key tall that worked in tandem with with Jack really well. So he broke his foot against East Fremantle, um, you know, early in the second quarter. Did an amazing job to stick at it through the course of the game. So we're just a little bit light on for, for key position players at the moment. Um, we're throwing Jack Hardesty forward. He's been he's been pretty good for us. And Dan Curtin's come in and give us given us that that sort of flexible back role, which has been really pleasing. So again, it's, it's you know, losing Jack Hurts, but probably just that, that lack of big man depth across the board has been a little bit challenging. Holly Eastland's been tremendous. He's, he's had an amazing year and he's been really holding strong in the ruck. And Kieran Gowdy's another lad that he had bash, back stress fractures and, and didn't have a pre-season. And he's also played two games in the two. So, you know, there's a few soldiers coming back in and hopefully they're right. I was going to ask you about Ollie Eastland. 43 hit-outs and 21 disposals at the weekend. It's a pretty big day. Massive. He, like I said, Duffy's been tremendous for us, Ollie. And, you know, he, he again was, was another player that came off a really limited pre-season after injuring himself late last year. So he's held up. He's been an absolute soldier, but we need a little bit of support for him. Tell us about Zach Mainwaring the seasons. He's had uh, three goals and uh, um, 15 disposals on the weekend and a pretty steady year from him. Yeah, he's been tremendous, mate. He, um, you know, he's rock-hard fit and he had a tremendous pre-season and, you know, his footy habits have just got better and better in the last couple of years and, you know, he's a real leader and plays with a lot of passion. So, yeah, we're wrapped with the way Zach's developing as a young player. Daniel Curtin made his debut a couple of weeks ago. He's had two 20-possession games. There's a lot of hype over East, of course, about Harley Reid. But I look at Daniel Curtin and I don't see him wanting for much in terms of what a young player should be at his stage of development. He's a he's an exceptionally impressive kid. Tell us a little bit about him and the two games he's played for you. Yeah, he is. And, and that's the point you made on being an exceptional kid. When he came up into the league squad, you know, he was just a sponge for learning and you know, whenever you're doing game education or reviewing games, he's always front and centre wanting to learn. So I think when you combine, you know, that really hungry attitude and coachability with, you know, the natural ability that he's been blessed with, it's a pretty good mix. And I think a mix that will take him um, to some pretty high places in the AFL world, that's for sure. Can you get back on track, Ash? Do you have the belief that you can rediscover what you had early in the season? Yeah, without doubt, mate. I think... Um, our best footy is absolutely good enough. And like I said, we've been showing some great signs. It's just a matter of um, settling the team a little bit now, hopefully, and you know, and getting a little bit of that offensive mojo off the back of defending really hard. Um, you know, The boys are more than capable, and it's a really exciting, exciting period of time we're moving into. Quick question on Gold Coast. You spent a lot of time up there. They look like they'll get Damien Hardwick to coach them next year. Do they need a person of that stature, do you think, in a venue like that to, to get the right results from the team? I would have thought so. I think in, in that market up there, having a high-profile person like Damien, it would be tremendous, as well as obviously being a good coach. And I dare say he'd be able to attract and bring, um, you know, potentially some players and also some staff along with him. So... Yeah, I think for the Gold Coast Suns, he'd be a fantastic fit for them. I think he'd, uh, he's, he's a player, he's a coach that's going to be able to look players in the eye too, isn't he? In a, in a place where it's hard to retain players, so therefore the coach may be tempted to go a little bit softly, softly. Um, Hardwick will be able to eyeball them and uh, and probably get better outcomes from them. Yeah, I would have thought so, mate. And, and they've got a, a, such a, a talented young list that, 
you know, I think I think they're cherry right now. I think Stewie Jew did a did a great job in you know in, in rebuilding the culture to some extent and getting things on board. But I think, like you say, someone like Damien Hardwick will really complement where their list is at, you know, and where probably overall the club is at as a whole. Ash, thanks for joining us on the show. Good luck against Swans this weekend. Hopefully, you can get into the five and uh, and make an impact once you're there. Good on you, Duff. Cheers, mate. Ash Prescott, he's the senior coach at Claremont. Of course, massive game for them coming up this weekend against Swan Districts with a fight for the eight on the line. We'll take a break. We'll be back to get through a couple of your text messages and close up the show after the break. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We've had some great texts come through on the temper at Bedshed text line. few uh, predicting that uh, Adam Simpson, not a bright future for him. Uh, Greg from Les Murdy says, agree with you, Duff, that Adam Simpson doesn't deserve to keep his job, but the Eagles then also have to fire his successor when they get belted again next year. Gee, Greg, always always an optimist. Cheery, yep. <laughs> a good one from John from High Wickham on the Matildas. Mary Fowler, she is going to be better than Sam Kerr. She has skills. She sets up the play. If I was England, I would be watching her the most out of that team tonight. Thank you, John, from High Wickham. And another one from uh, Bodie from Wananop. Uh, heater. Yeah. Morning, Duff. If Simo gets sacked at the end of the year, who would be the front runner to be the new head coach at West Coast? Wouldn't it be ironic if someone like Josh Carr ended up being the head coach at West Coast? Would be, but what happened with his uh, stay at Port Adelaide after Ken uh, re-signed? Did he stay on or has he got a contract? Well, I would have thought that what happens with these things is that there's always an out to the contract for a senior assistant if there's an opportunity for them to be a senior coach. Mm. And um, Josh is very highly rated. Mm. Um, he's very hard-nosed uh, and he's very straightforward. Mm. And all of those traits shone through in his time at Fremantle. Now, does that make him the right person for West Coast? West Coast is going to need a strong development coach if, I stress if, they part company mm. with Adam Simpson at the end of the year. But there is a strong argument that new group of players, um, not a great track record, well, a horrendous track record for the senior coach over the last two years. Uh, just uh, a quick ladder update, Duff, on the way out for Class Harvest. Uh, they, Class Harvest in hand was your crops with ease. Collingwood, you would think, are going to be taking home uh, the uh, minor premiership for the season. They are in uh, front of uh, the Lions and Port Adelaide behind them in second and third. And the Demons are rounding out the top four, but... Uh, the one to watch maybe is Essendon or the Giants or perhaps even the Cats scraping in for the eighth spot as well. Yeah, big game between Adelaide and Sydney as well. Likely to decide a lot at the bottom end of the eighth. Thank you to Class Harvest. Thank you for listening to the show this morning.